0: To the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Now, before we get into the word, we're, today I'm going to talk a lot about Joshua. Joshua was a spiritual son and servant of Moses. We're going to talk about spiritual fathering today. We're going to talk a lot about fatherhood. Before I get into that, though, I want to I'm to go super practical for just a few minutes, um, you're kind of getting two messages in one today. I just want to be a dad for a few minutes and just share from my heart, uh, share some of the things I've observed as a parent. Um, right now, those things are heavy on my heart. Uh, last Sunday, we were out of town, my wife and I, we, we were celebrating our 29th anniversary. <laughs> and um, we did that by driving a U-Haul to Hamilton, Alabama, and dropping off uh, our youngest daughter in Hamilton. So uh, we went on our 29th anniversary and came back as empty nesters. So it's an interesting experience. One 29-year journey basically closes and another one begins. So fathering is pretty heavy on my heart right now. What I'm going to say today is directed mostly at the men. It does apply, especially the beginning. It applies to mothers as well, so don't tune out. You need to be elbowing the men, right, all day long, keep them engaged. Um, But overall, really, mothers kind of get this stuff. It's instinctive. It's natural, right? We're a little slow on uptake sometimes. so We don't get some of this stuff, but um, it will apply to you as well. If you're a father in the room and you have children under the age of 16, or if you plan on being a father, listen up. Listen closely, not just with your ears, but with your heart especially to this beginning, to this practical part, Um, I think it may be something that can help you. Jake, you're a good man. I appreciate it. I'll give it up for Jake. So here are three words that I want you to chew on. Engage, invest, and enjoy. Now you may, as a man, if you're a father, you may think, I do all that. I do all that. I, I do all that with my children. I do that with my wife. I do that with my family. And I'm not saying you don't. Maybe you do. I just want to make sure today that you're intentionally, you're doing all those things intentionally with the realization that that child that God has put in your house, that little life that he's given to you, he gave specifically to you. He gave it specifically to you for a reason. He put that life in your hands. So what I'm asking you first is to engage. Really engage. Engage. Get locked in with your children, right? Create moments. And when I say create moments, that's what I mean. Create moments of nothing else happening on the planet. There's nothing else going on but the reality of you and this child that you love. Create those moments with, with your children. The world could be on fire around you, but in that moment, it's just you and your child. These are the things that children need, especially in the early years of development. Focused engagement, focused attention, focused love. Your child needs to be a target that you're locked onto, right? It's not just, it's not a task. Your child is not just a task. Sometimes it can feel that way, right? That you're dealing with day in and day out. But you need to have these moments and show that child the type of love. It's It's a great representation of the father's love for us. And that's what shines through to your children. That's one of the only chances they may get to see that, especially through a father. So engage, lock in. Secondly, invest. Invest time. Notice I didn't say spend time. I said invest. You can spend money or you can invest it. Two different things. You can do the same thing with time. Often when we invest in something, there's a little bit of a sacrifice that comes behind it. There's not much sacrifice when we're just making it rain, right? We're just spending money. Notice the difference in this this verbiage. I spent some time with my kids this week. I invested some time in my kids this week. Now, don't make investment something weird like it's something you have to be disciplined about or it's a transactional thing. That's not what I'm talking about. All I'm saying is there should be times of intentionality, right? There should be times when you aren't just... You hear this. Some men say this. Well, I'm babysitting today. No, you're not. No, you're not. You should be investing in your children, right? And... It's okay to just be present at times. I'm not saying, I mean, that's going to be the case most of the time. you got things going on, you're going to be present. Present is better than absent, okay? So that's perfectly fine if there's times that you're just there. Sometimes your kids just want you near. That's what they need, right? But there needs to be purposeful times of engagement and investment with your children. Here's the problem, though, sometimes with men. And I notice that with the younger generation, I don't think this is as big of a, of a problem as it was with mine. But there are some. Here's the problem with engagement and investment with some men. Many men are very task-driven. They're accomplishment-oriented, right? It's just the way we function. We sometimes treat, I spent time with the kids today kind of like I did the dishes today. Like they're a duty we must fulfill instead of a person we're called to love, right? Right? Here's something I experienced as a young father, and some of you may be able to relate to it. Some of you will probably relate to it later. But this is kind of the trap that I see for many men who want to be good dads. They want to be good fathers and husbands. It's this subtle type of selfishness. And when I say selfishness, I'm not talking about the toxic, me-first selfishness that we usually associate with that word. I'm talking about the type of selfishness that basically allows you to get a pass in this area because you're doing all this over here, right? Men are famously guilty for this. Here, Here's the thoughts of some men. I feel like I, I know some young men that if I went to them and I said, hey man, you know, I think you're being a little selfish in your relationship with your children. This is probably the kind of response that that I would get, you know. I work 60 hours a week. I give it all for my family. I lay it all on the table for my family. When I'm I'm off on the weekends, if I've got energy, I mean, I'm doing stuff with them. I take them on vacations. I mow the yard. I do the stuff. How could you possibly look at me and say that I'm being selfish or I don't sacrifice or I don't love my family? And the truth is, yes, Dad, you do those things. Yes, they add value, right? They add value to your family. Yes, in those things you are loving your family. But those things, if you're not actively engaged in shaping your children in positive kingdom ways, those things aren't going to complete the puzzle for your children. It's not that what you're doing is wrong. It's not. It's just inferior if it's not mixed with engaged and invested time in your children. Are you shaping your children? Or are you just feeding them? Are you the potter? or are you just the provider? They know that you love them because you care for them, but do they know your heart for them? Do you take that kind of time where they know your heart for them beyond, I do this and I do that? Are you gonna choose to invest your truly valuable and often scarce time in your children or in yourself? Now we often feel like when we're working as men we're giving our time to our family in that way and that's true in some ways we are but and as and here's the thing this is cool when the kids grow up as they start to grow they 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 really do begin to appreciate that they begin to see the time that you've invested right working and providing and doing all those things and they'll appreciate you for it but the thing about that is when they're young and they're in the developmental stage they need a father in their face, (laughs) right? Investing. doesn't mean you can't do all those other things. I'm not telling you not to do all those other things. I'm just saying that in that time that you have outside of that, those children need you there in their face, revealing your heart for them. So engage, invest, and then lastly, enjoy. Enjoy them as the Father God enjoys you. And if you don't believe that, You need to change your theology. Okay? Even through the mistakes that you see, even through the little things that might grate on your nerves, enjoy them. Know that they're part of the growth process, which is beautiful. I've seen women, I've seen my wife do this, and and I think that men would glean a lot from this. Just stare intently at your children at times. Look at them and understand that there's only one of those. There's no one like that child on the planet. And God handed it to you. And it brings this gratitude. It brings this appreciation. If you want to see abundant life, if you want to enjoy something, watch your children. Enjoy the wonder of a child. How carefree they are. How they just enjoy creation and everything around them. Those years where they want to just be with you, Believe it or not, they're fleeting. Grab it while you can and invest, right? And enjoy it. Soak it in. Truly soak it in. Don't just be present, right? Even if you're not investing and engaging in the moment, enjoy the moment. Enjoy the wonder that's in the room when there's a child present because it's always there. Now, if you do that, if you engage and you invest and you enjoy, If you do those things often, I can promise you won't regret it. I spent a ton of times with with my kids when they were smaller, but I don't feel like I was engaged as I should have been. I wasn't invested as I should have been. I did all the stuff. I played with my kids a lot. Um, I don't feel like I sat back and I enjoyed my kids just being kids as the way that I should have. But if you have small children you have a chance to fix it now because your kids are going to be a teen in the blink of an eye, I can promise you. If you haven't done these things, if you don't recognize that gift that's with you, recognize it now, okay? Because when they become teens, there's a chance that it may be too late. I challenge you, don't get consumed in the things that steal your gaze when you're in that 25 to 35-year-old range, right? That's a formative time for you as well. And there's lots of important things going on, right? 25 to 35, you're buying cars, you're buying houses, you're building a career. You're watching your parents get older. You're navigating school issues when they get in school, and you're navigating sports and all the activities, and, and you're trying to do your best with all that. And in the meantime, you're trying to learn how to be a good spouse, and you're trying to figure out who you are. All that stuff's happening, and people don't realize it really till they get past it. 25 to 35 is very formative, right? You got all this stuff going on. You're maturing with your walk with God. You're trying to figure out how to get your kids to eat something besides a chicken nugget. All that stuff is important, right? All that stuff has to happen. I'm not saying it doesn't. You have to do those things. But don't let them be your main focus. They're all legitimate, and that's okay. But don't get focused just on your personal battles or your personal goals. And you lose sight of that little person that's running around watching your every move, trying to look at you and figure out how to navigate the world, right? Because that's what's happening. That's what's happening. Outside of your responsibility and relationship to God and your responsibility and relationship with your spouse, your responsibility to mold your children should be one of the primary drivers of your life. And if it's not, that's something that you need to take a look at. Is that fair? Okay, I hope somebody got something out of that. Um, That was kind of message, or should I say challenge number one? Um, Challenge number two is the second part of this. It's going to be covering a little bit more serious topic. It's related, but it's it's a lot different. Um, But in all honesty, it's just as important to future generations as what I just talked about. I'm going to spend the rest of my time talking about what I think is one of the most destructive things we've seen over the last 50 years, and that's the epidemic of the absence of fathers. Basic logic, common sense, and even the stats, I'm going to share a few stats with you in a minute, are going to show you that there is a serious need for fathers. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on today, and when you begin to talk about the need for fathers Um, sometimes people try to downplay that because it gets in the way of agendas, right? But it doesn't matter if it's getting in the way of agendas. Everything points to the fact that fathers are important. I'm as pro-father as they come, um, but the severity of what I found when I started looking into this shocked even me. So I'm going to give you just a few quick stats, and then we're going to get into the story of Joshua. So here's basic figures. There's about 73 million kids in the U.S., a little over a third of those do not live with their biological father. You might think a third. I figured it'd be more than that. A third is 25 million kids. And that's just right now. And one in four American kids don't have any father figure in the home at all. I could give you statistics for the next hour. There's so many of them. I just had to keep cutting and keep cutting and keep cutting. Here's a few that I'm going to give you that just kind of gives you a taste of the damage That's happened, okay, without a father figure in the home. doesn't have to be a biological father, right? But some type of male figure in the home, right? So I'm going to start you out with a few that's going to grab your attention. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's five times the average. 80% of rapists that have major anger problems come from fatherless homes. 80%. That's 14 times the average. 90% of homeless and runaway children, 90% fatherless homes, 32 times the average. 85% of children with behavior disorders, 71% of all high school dropouts, 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers, fatherless homes you're 47% likely, more likely, to live in poverty later in life if you come from a fatherless home. 85% of all youths, 85% of all youths in prison come from a fatherless home. That is 20 times the average. Now, that, that encompasses male and female, right? But here's some stats on daughters. Daughters without a father involved are 53% more likely to marry as a teenager, 19 years or younger. They are 711% more likely to have a child as a teenager, 711. And they are 92% more likely to end up down the road divorced themselves, 92% more likely, which typically will perpetuate that cycle. What is happening in the earth right now is the antithesis of the gospel. Instead of a father, Father God, rescuing orphans and pulling them into families and bringing them into wholeness, instead of seeing that, we see men stamping the orphan spirit on the hearts of their children. They're stamping it on their sons and daughters as they sacrifice their children on the altar of self. It's got to stop. So as I told you earlier, we're going to talk a little bit about Joshua. A story some of you are probably familiar with. I think I can pull something out of it today that is incredibly relevant to where we are. Um, Most of you should know the story of Joshua. If you don't, you need to check it out. It's pretty amazing. So God brings the children of Israel out of Egypt they go into the wilderness for two years. Some people don't understand that. They go for two years before the first time they reach the Jordan, the borders of Canaan, the promised land. So they get there. God's already told them, you can take the land. Okay? Moses decides to send out 12 spies to go check out the land, see what they can see. They go over, two of those spies, Joshua and Caleb, they come back. And they say, the land is everything God said it was. It's flowing with milk and honey. They talk about all the good stuff. They do say there are giants in the land. But these two, like it's not a problem. God said we could do it, so we're going to do it. Unfortunately, the other ten and their peers, they came back with a report full of fear and doubt. And they caused the, the, the multitude to freak out. And that's basically what they did. They was like, forget this. We we don't want any part of that. We'd rather go back to Egypt. We'd rather do that than dying at the hands of these giants in Canaan. Now, Caleb begins to plead with the men. You know, he begins to tell them, but look at all what God has done for us. Do not forget. But the multitudes, this is what you got to catch, that were predominantly the fathers, the grandfathers, and the great-grandfathers of the children of Israel. Decided that the risk was too great. They didn't want to take the risk. All of the older men caved to their fears and decided not to step into the promise that God had given them, their children, and their children's children. They were filled with doubt, they were filled with fear, selfishness, and they were scared to death of the circumstances that overcame their faith in that moment. They were more concerned with preserving self opposed to thinking of the potential of the promise for their children and their children's children. They actually at one point were going to stone Joshua and Caleb because Joshua and Caleb were so insistent that we can do this and they weren't about it. They were willing to kill the next generation if it meant they could avoid the inconvenience of facing their giants. Long story short, some of you may know this part of the story, some of you may not. I found it very interesting. So they're full of fear. They're like, we're not going to do it. Moses basically sides with them. And then God basically looks at them and says, you're going back to the wilderness, right? And that's where they spend almost 40 more years in the wilderness. Here's the thing you got to catch. God also says that anyone that's currently at that time when the spies come back, anybody that's over the age of 20 would never live to see the promised land. They're all going to end up dying at some point in the wilderness over the next 38 plus years. God says only Joshua and Caleb and then the children that were there at the time under the age of 20, only those will see the promised land. So the father's The grandfathers and the great-grandfathers failed to reach the promises God had for them due to unbelief, disobedience, selfishness. Multiple generations of men basically turned their back on the promises of God and what they'd seen God do previously and betrayed the generations that would come after them. So what did they do? They just wandered aimlessly in the wilderness for almost 40 years and they just gradually died off, just like God said. They died due to fear and selfishness as their sons and their daughters watched and they were left without fathers. Fast forward 40 years. We now see the children of Israel approaching Jordan and the Canaan again. We see Moses himself is preparing. He's preparing to die. God tells Moses to name Joshua as his successor. Joshua was his spiritual son, his servant, for all those years. God tells him, Name him the successor, and Joshua is going to take them over into the promised land. Moses publicly lays hands on Joshua. Biblical practice. Publicly lays hands on Joshua, tells the people, This is now your leader. Okay? It's very similar, right? It's a perfect picture of watching a father pass a spiritual inheritance onto his son. We actually saw this right here about this time last year, okay? It's a beautiful thing and it's the way that it should happen. Not long after he hands off the reins to Joshua, the great leader Moses dies. Here's the part I want you to grasp from the story if you haven't already gotten it. When Moses dies and Joshua takes over, Joshua was for the most part now leading a generation of either fatherless men or men who were forced to deal with the immense failures of their fathers. Failures that caused them to wander around in the wilderness most of their lives. So what was the solution? What solution did Joshua have to the situation he inherited? He immediately became the father and leader that that generation of wanderers needed. In the beginning of the book of Joshua, we see how quickly things can change when a man is willing to step into the gap and follow God's lead. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, toiling in the wilderness, and I think it's neat, it's right at the beginning of the book. This is how quickly things can change. In chapter 1, verse 2 of the book of Joshua, they should put it on the screen, we see God say this to Joshua. Verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. So now arise. Cross this Jordan. You and all these people to the land which I am giving them to the sons of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot treads I have given to you. Just as I spoke to Moses. We're going to skip down to Joshua 1.9, the famous verse Joshua 1.9. Joshua 1.9 says, this is God talking to Joshua. This is just what he needed to hear. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. He's speaking exactly to the things that caused the last group to bolt. Be courageous. I am with you. God is saying, Joshua, your spiritual father may be gone. And the father of all these people, a lot of their fathers are gone. Do not be afraid because you have a father to guide you and it's me. Take these generations of men that have lost their fathers as well and step into the promises that I have given to you and to them. You only need to be strong and courageous. Let fear have no place in you. So here's this man, Joshua, that had to wander around for four decades because of his peers and all the fathers of a previous generation who were not willing to face their giants for the betterment of the generations that would come after them. Joshua followed in the footsteps, and he was a good servant and son to Moses, but he didn't stop where Moses stopped. He decided to step into the gap and pull them into the promise. Joshua became the leader and the father that an entire nation of people needed to overcome the sins of their father. Every generation needs men and women with an ear to hear, right? A heart for the people, not for self, and enough backbone to do the hard and scary things that it takes that, that's needed, that's required to often lead people into wholeness. As a society, and especially as men, I think we're in a very similar situation to Joshua. I've already given you the stats, right? Today, due to men and fathers that came before them, we have a multitude of men and women that have never stepped into the promises of God for their life or for what God has for their children because they didn't have that father figure that could help show them and lead them along the way, just like what Joshua was dealing with. They maybe were too caught up in their own pursuits, their own selfish pursuits to take time to father their children. We also have men, very much like in Joshua's time, and that they want to do the right thing. They want to do the right thing. I know there were, I know plenty of men in my generation that wanted to do the right thing. We came from homes maybe that the father wasn't present. and We wanted to do the right thing, but we didn't really know what to do all the time. And we're crumbling in part as a society because these young boys and these young girls have not been fathered. And the biggest tragedy that often comes out of fatherlessness is the fact that it creates this generational brokenness. It creates this cycle where children just grow up behind the eight ball in every aspect that you can imagine, financially, emotionally, spiritually. We started seeing this really around 1970. We saw this explosion of fatherlessness and men just abandoning their responsibility. Now, you might be asking, like, why am I talking to this room? Guys in this room handle their business. I mean, we got fathers everywhere. We got women pregnant everywhere. (laughs) Take care of business, right? We'll get to that in a little bit. We'll get to that in a little bit. So, the problem is with my generation, just to be transparent, we wanted to do right, but we knew what not to do more than what we were supposed to do. So, guess what? That's how we raised our kids. As we raised the next generation, we didn't know how to train a child in the way they should go. So, we trained them in what not to do. And what I mean by that is, we said, don't do that. Stay away from that. That leads to death. Instead of saying, this is what you should do that leads to life. Can we agree on that? Have we seen that? Right? Especially in the church. These are fathers trying to do what's right, but they don't know any better. Right? So all they know to do is say, don't, don't, don't. Right? They never give you the why. We tried to raise a bunch of Nazarites. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Instead of raising kings and priests who only refrain from things because it doesn't align with the identity that their fathers have given them. That's what it should look like. The worst thing you can do for a generation of young people is say, don't do that. I mean, you tell a little kid, hey, see that cookie over there? That cookie jar? You stay away from that. What's that kid going to do? They're going to go for it, right? It's one of the worst things you can do. You'll be like, listen, that cookie, they're, they're going to tell you it's incredibly tasteful, right? It's just got a lot of taste. tastes good. But don't touch it. Because if you eat enough of them, it's unhealthy. And what's that kid going to do? The kid's going to go over there, full cookie monster, right? Got crumbs all in their fur, right? They're just going to go for it. And if, and, and if they're tiny, they're going to lie to you about it, right? But if they're older, they get slick. Dad, even though you know I want the cookie, even though I don't think there's anything wrong with me having the cookie, Dad, Father, I will not partake of the cookie just out of honor for you. And you're sitting there going, I know you already ate the cookie. (laughs) Here's the interesting thing. Young parents, you need to hear this. All right, moms and dads in the room the Holy Spirit is going to rat out your kids to you. And it's glorious. <laughs> it's glorious, right? Right? I mean, if they're little, you know, they're going to walk up with like a chocolate chip up their nose and a bunch of stuff. You're going to know, right? When they get older, they get slick. But what they don't understand, and if you're really young in the room, like really young, you're still at home living with your parents, understand if they have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's going to tell on you had it happen multiple times with my girls it's just a beautiful thing and then you also inherit when you become a dad you get dad jokes and you get the detective skills of batman it's like automatic right so you not only have the holy spirit you have the holy spirit telling you what's going on you also have the goods right i've got the proof missy can tell you man i would catch my daughters like back them into a corner and they'd be like how did you find that out i'm like that's right I thought I would lighten the mood a minute because I've been pretty serious so far. I've been known to be a little serious, so I thought I'd lighten the mood just for a minute. Back to Joshua. When we think about the last 50 years, let's say, and we look at the people that grew up without fathers, they grew up without capable fathers, and then you include the children that grew up without fathers that knew anything about God, it's very easy to see why we have a lack of identity. And we have dysfunction in the culture all around us. Now, I want to make this very clear. There are exceptions to the rules. Okay? I gave you percentages. On one side of that percentage is people that maybe struggle because they don't have a father. On the other side of the percentage is people that make it. So don't lose hope. Don't lose hope if you don't have that father figure in the home right now. That's the point. That's one of the points of the story of Joshua. Joshua's being led by Moses all the time. Moses dies and God steps in. I'm your father. I'm your father. God will step in. And then God gives grace to the mothers, which is beautiful. God gives grace to the mothers to step in as well. My point is, there's the stats say, that you're automatically going to be behind the eight ball some of the time, right? Why do we see that? Because fathers aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And what are we going to do about it? You see, from a biblical perspective, you see the importance of fathering and family all through Scripture. What's the book revolve around? Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, brothers and sisters, family units. That's what you see all throughout Scripture. Right? When that starts to break down in a society, there's going to be ramifications. And we're starting to see it in those stats that I gave you. So I believe we're in a moment as men. We're in a Joshua-type moment. Joshua spent years being a good and faithful son to Moses. He knew how to be a son. Many of us in church, if you've been in church over the last 10 or 15 years at all, you've probably heard a lot about the sonship revelation. It's been very popular teaching, um, teaching about who God the Father really is and how that relates to us as sons and daughters. You've become very familiar with the concept of sonship. It's been preached extensively, and it's perfect. We can't stop teaching on sonship. It's a well that will never run dry. He made us sons for many amazing reasons. But I believe that one of the reasons that he made us sons, and one of the reasons that this sonship revelation has been so prevalent is because we have to understand that we have to understand how to be sons to be ready for this challenge that's in front of us that I believe he's given to the people in this room and this generation of believers. We know we're sons. We've got that. But it's time for many of us to move from the reality of being sons to the privilege of being a father. And I'm not just talking about biological sons and daughters. We have to begin to think like fathers outside of our own home. We have an epidemic. We have 25, almost 25 million kids. Who is going to father them? Who's going to speak into their lives? We cannot just stop at sonship. And I'm talking to all men. I know I'm in a room with a lot of young people, right? Age doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have natural biological children or not. God needs all of us to move from sons to fathers. He needs the ladies to think, I'm a daughter, yes, but you need to start thinking like a mother, whether you have children or not. Now, some people, they kind of can get offended or upset when someone says God intends for us to be fathers and mothers because some people do not or cannot have biological children. And I understand that, and that is completely valid, and I'm sensitive to that sensitive situation. But I think that God still expects us to mold the next generation. We are to make disciples, whether you have children or not. The Bible is full of people that never had children of their own, but they became like fathers and mothers to individuals that changed history. So what I'm proposing today, it doesn't matter if you have children or not. To our knowledge, Paul didn't have children, but he had a Timothy. He had a Timothy, right, that he raised up in the faith, and he actually called him a son. Elijah, to our knowledge, didn't have children, but he had Elisha. Jesus didn't have children. But he had 12 men and a multitude of women that he spoke into their lives and he invested into their lives and he sacrificed himself for them. What about Joshua? To our knowledge, Joshua also did not have biological children, which is kind of shocking for that time in history. But what he did have was a generation of men, a generation of sons that had basically been abandoned in the wilderness. The wilderness had swallowed up their fathers just like we're seeing the wilderness of life swallow up fathers today. During that time, you have to think, so many of the young men that were traveling in the wilderness that were able to make it into the promised land had become fathers themselves. So you have, just like now, you have fathers becoming fathers without a father. Joshua had been a son, but suddenly he was called to be a father that would lead the fatherless into the promises of God. You are called to do the same. Men and women alike, in this time in history, I'm convinced you're called to do the same. You know somebody under the age of 30 that doesn't have a godly influence in their life. You know them. Speak into their lives. Build a relationship. Who's going to father them? Who's going to step into the gap? Who's going to be a Joshua to the next generation? We have multiple generations now of men, older men, younger men, that watched their fathers die in the wilderness. Who's going to kind of pick up the baton? We have another generation of people wandering in the wilderness, whether they know it or not. And you can hear the cries, right? You see it on social media. You hear the cries. Who am I? Am I loved? How do I do this? Does anybody see me? How do I I father children? How do I be a good spouse? What's my identity? These are all questions that were designed to be answered by godly fathers and mothers, but they're nowhere to be found. Someone has to step into the gap. We are the answer. We can help them step into the promised land, but you have to be able to see the need, which I'm giving you today. And then you have to answer the call. Again, it's not just for 35 and older. This is a call to reach out and help anyone that has the type of guidance that you might be equipped to give them. Now, just for clarity, if you're a 21 year old and you've never had kids, give you some advice don't tell people how to parent. (laughs) I'm not talking about that. Okay. (laughs) But if you're 23, you're unmarried, you don't have any kids. You can still be a Joshua. And you may think, well, how can I do that? Well, what's in your hand? What's in your heart? What's in your head? What do you have to offer? What about that 16-year-old boy that you know that might be in your family or just a family friend that really doesn't have a father in his life at all and he's expressed interest to go to college and you've done that. You're 22 and you just finished. Right there, step into that gap, right? What about the 20-year-old, maybe you're 20 and there's a 20-year-old you know that is steeped in depression, that's had their identity stolen from them. They don't know their own worth, right? but you can see it and you can speak life to them. But you have to see it and do it. Maybe you have a strong walk with the Lord and some peers around you do not and you're the same age, but you're further along the path than they are. Help them cross over. Joshua, that's what we're going to have to do or we're going to see this thing continue to spiral. There isn't any excuse. You see men, especially older men, they're the absolute worst about whining that they're not being used by God. I don't have a purpose. I don't know what my purpose is. Or even worse, they're just the selfish type of guy that basically just consumes, consume, consumes, 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 and never produces anything for the kingdom unless they know that it's going to bring something back to them. Don't be that guy. Don't be this guy, whether you're young or old, the guy that wants to always be seen in everything that he does. He just wishes he could preach or get on the platform and sing. Shut up. Sit down. You don't need a mic. You don't want to be used. You want to be seen. Those aren't the same things. Sons don't need you to be seen. Sons, just ask the ladies, sons are developed in the dark places. That's where they're formed. Disciples are made in the dark, right? You can't just run with them when they're seen and they're excelling. You have to be there in the late night texts and the calls when things aren't going so well. You have to be able to engage and invest. You have to be able to enjoy their journey as well. You have to be able to be there in the hidden times, right? You're not always going to be on a stage. You're always not going to be known. And that's not the point, right? That's not the point. Platforms are great, right? I'm on one right now. Whoopee, okay? They're fine, but arrows and crowns are better. You can launch sons and daughters like arrows into the world and into the culture. You can find the fatherless and show them the feet of Jesus. And they're like crowns laid at His feet. And it will do much more than what I'm doing right now. You can affect one person and you will have an effect on the kingdom that this will not do. I can promise you. But in this this time in society, we like to be seen, right? Right? So I'm getting ready to wrap up. Am I saying you have to become a spiritual father or mother to someone? Do you have to do that? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Because when I, say, when I say fathering, when I use the term fathering, I'm not just necessarily talking like an official spiritual father. That's actually very rare. I'm simply talking about having a level of influence with people, stepping into the gap for them. I kind of like. I've had people ask me a lot of questions about spiritual fathering for the through the years, and this is kind of the the verbiage that I've I've created. You can be an influence, you can be a voice, you can be a mentor, or you can be a father. And those positions increase in intimacy and importance as you step through them, and that is kind of the progression if you ever become a spiritual father. But Again, spiritual fathering is more rare. That's not what I'm asking you. You can influence people through something like social media. And a lot of you do. I have people that contact me that I've never met face-to-face, probably five, six times a year, because they've seen certain posts that I've put up about spiritual things. And they contact me privately and say, hey, I'm going through this, can you help me, right? That's, that's a simple level of influence. But just having influence isn't having a voice. Having a voice is another step forward. When I say you have a voice, you step beyond just being an influence, and maybe that person will seek out your counsel about maybe something specific like marriage or something like that. And then when you say something to them, they actually apply it. That means you have a voice. Your voice holds weight understand every step of this, it's just like planting seeds. It's all needed. You may only be an influence to most people. That's fine, as long as you're a good one, right? So let me give you an example of kind of what I mean. I'm going to use my man Jordan right here. Jay, he's the man. If you don't know him, you need to get to know him. Funny dude, funny dude. He helps me daily with my attitude just because he sends me funny stuff. So here's an example that may help you. So let's say Jordan is watching kind of from afar and he's, he's watching how I maybe interact with my wife and treat my wife and he gleans from that. That's influence, right? But then if, if Jordan decides to start to maybe ask me, send me questions, maybe text me about specifics about my marriage and I start to just give him a little bit of advice and he starts to implement that, I have a voice in his life in that area, okay? The next step is, okay, that goes on for a while. And then Jordan's like, you know what? I need this to go deeper. Hey, man, let's hook up and have dinner sometime. And we start to meet on a fairly regular basis. We're talking about marriage. I'm helping him with things. That can develop into kind of a mentoring relationship. And then finally, and again, this part is rare okay but finally maybe god starts to speak to jordan notice that jordan I'm in the story jordan is the one that's that's kind of pushing this forward if you ever have a spiritual father that's demanding your allegiance run run he's not a father okay but back to the story so the relationship develops further and jordan feels like god is really saying like You need to be connected to this man. This is somebody that you can glean from. And he starts to feel a spiritual connection to me. And he feels like God's telling him that that voice is something that you need in your life on a regular basis and a permanent basis. Then that has the potential to evolve into more. And it could become a spiritual fathering type of scenario. So hopefully you can kind of see the progression there. My challenge to you today is not that you have to become a spiritual father. That may never happen. I want to make that clear. I'm just calling you to a sense of awareness of the things and the needs around you. And I'm asking you to step into the gap. You guys can come on up. Just for clarity, I'm by no means an expert on spiritual fathering at all. I'm just revealing what I've learned and observed as God has really given me a heart for the fatherless. And those folks that just need some help, there's people that just need some help in parts of their lives. You may step into the gap and never be there again, but you helped move them forward. That's part of discipling, becoming a Joshua to a fatherless generation. You don't have to be perfect, right? You don't have to be the most mature Christian. ever, But if you're willing, God will show you the need. And then what do you have in your hand, right? Because the fatherless are out there and this is really what they need. They need to be seen. They need to be known. and They need to be loved. And you can do all that. There's not a person in the room that can't do that. So do it. You guys go ahead and stand your feet. So we've stepped into a time when just fathering our own biological children, it's not going to be enough to turn the tide of the brokenness in society. And we're seeing the fruit of that everywhere we look. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Don't just settle for being a son that sits back and receives the benefits of sonship. But understand that part of the inheritance of a son is the privilege of becoming a father. There was a time not too long ago where I was around a lot of young people, a lot. And they, I was kind of acting like a, a selfish, entitled brat for a minute. I was in a situation and I was feeling sorry for myself. And, and God said this to me, and he didn't say it harshly, but I heard it clear. He said, are you going to father them or are you going to fail them? And that kind of just sent me on this journey that I'm on now. Men failing them can't be an option. If you want a glorious purpose, it's there. It's there right now. And you can have as much of it as you want. If we're going to follow in the footsteps of God the Father, we need to realize that this is who He is. This is what it says in Psalm 68. This is what it says about the God and we are supposed to be bearing his image in the earth. It says in Psalm 68 that he is a father to the fatherless. He is a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. He is a God who places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Amen. That's who we're called to be. We're we're called to represent Him in the earth. And the opportunity is everywhere. Whether you're 20 or 60, the opportunity is everywhere. So we're going to pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we just, we thank You. We thank You that You've shown us what a father looks like. We thank You that You step into the gap when there's not a father there. But today, we're asking. We're asking for people's eyes to be open to the need. We're asking for men and women, for their hearts to be opened, to be spiritual fathers and mothers, to be a man or a woman that will step in the gap, Father. Give these men, give these men the hearts of a father. Give them your eyes, and your perspective to see the need, and then be able to look past, Father, the brokenness and the dysfunction. Father, give us the heart that you have so we don't look with human eyes on the dysfunction. And instead of being disgusted by it, let us be devastated by it, Father. Let us not run from it, but run right into it. Father, make it weigh on us the need that's there, Father. We love you, Father. I thank you for the men that you've sent here, Father. And I just ask that you let this go deep in them today, Father. We just worship you today. In Jesus' name. You can be Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.